Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month, we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging technologies, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys finding the groove for all of this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent tech analyst in my company, J. Arnold and Associates. And I'm Chris Fine. I'm a consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, and security. My company is Integrative Technologies. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Watch This Space. It's It's been a busy month, right? Sure has. And if if the audience has been listening and hanging on to every word we just said over the last minute, everything we talked about what we do as analysts and consultants was on full display last week uh, as we record now at uh, the Future of Work Expo in Fort Lauderdale. And that's going to be our focus for today. And otherwise, Chris, we're both back from being in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, I would like to just let the audience know we're both doing okay, right? Travels went well. Yes, yes, it was good. The weather was nice, but not hot. And um, it's worth probably saying that the IT Expo is a conference that takes place annually. Uh, Usually it's been in the same place for quite some time. And it is actually a collection of a number of different tracks in different areas, usually whatever the important tech topics are, plus a few standard ones that they have. And John is fairly modest, but he was in charge of and ran a terrific track around the future of work, the Future of Work Expo, that was part of that overall IT Expo show. And uh, that's what we're going to focus on today, is that program. And then maybe if we get a little... A couple of minutes at the end, I can I can talk about walking around the floor of the show, which featured vendors from their the different segments that were featured in um, in the show. So, John, with that, I'm going to let you get started here uh, uh, talking about the future of Work Expo. Yeah, thank you, Chris. And yeah, there's a lot of things to touch on there. So, for the audience out there who attended, I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing our recap for what we saw and talked about uh, last week at the show. Now, I can tell you from various times taking shows of hands in the audience that for most people in attendance there, this was their first time coming to IT Expo and first time coming to our sub-event, Future of Work Expo. So for many of you listeners out there for whom this is all new, we're going to go on that kind of knowledge base assumption. So yes, Chris, as you were saying, so IT Expo, this was actually the 40th iteration of the event. So it's been running a long time and it's probably one of the longest running tech shows, certainly that I've been going to. It's been a constant ever since I've been an analyst in this space. And for those of you who do not know, The IT Expo is run by TMC, Technology Marketing Corp. And they, like a lot of companies in this world of uh, show business, so to speak, uh, they got their start as publishers. And usually out of that often grows an event or two or three. And the Expo has been an extension of their publishing efforts. And that has kind of since morphed over the years to cover all of these other disciplines. So what started as a focus on mostly telephony technologies 
has broadened into a very kind of a big tent event where they have their own track of events, IT Expo, and it draws a very big audience. I'd say probably close to 7,000 people come to attend the event and, of course, take in the show floor where a lot of business does get done. But also over the years recently, they've added these what we call sub-events. So my event, Future of Work Expo, is one of those that has a dedicated track. So aside from what we were talking about uh, last week, Chris, as you know, old colleagues of ours are, are running other sub-events that have established their own profiles and built their own audiences over the years, focusing on things like IoT, blockchain, generative AI, uh, MSPs. There's about a handful of these sub-events that have distinct tracks with very kind of, this is more like instead of going wide, which is what IT Expo is very good at, our, our sub-events go deep, right? So our future work content was strictly on that topic. A lot of cross-pollination, Chris, which is something I really liked and you saw as well, where we kind of shared some of our speakers, right, who had, you know, subject matter expertise. So when we had people coming to talk about chat GPT, for example, or some IT related issues, some of those speakers were also in some of the sub events talking about uh, the similar topics or related topics to those areas of interest. So uh, it's a really good place to go if you're new to, um, certainly new to telecom, which is seems like, an, seems like a, a ridiculous thing to say. But as people come into the industry, this is a good place to learn a lot about what's going on and to get that deeper knowledge base. Yeah, these sub-events, including ours, uh, are pretty good. And I'd have to say overall, Chris, you know, our, our content was pretty solid, you know, end to end. So I think anyone attending, uh, you know, I, I think it was a good use of their time and certainly wasn't very expensive to go. And the last thing I'll say before uh, I, I jump, have you jump back in is for Northerners like us, usually all you need to know is it's Florida and it's February. What's your problem? Just go, right? Because who doesn't want to get away from the winter? That is true. Although I, I would say it was pretty temperate. We've, we've had a warm winter, at least here. So it wasn't, the weather wasn't too different, but as they say, I'll take it. It was nice. Could walk around everywhere. It's pretty convenient location. The airport's not too far away. The scale of the show is workable. You know, it's it's big, but not huge. There's a lot of dialogue in the halls. There's a lot of people interfacing, meeting people. So it's, a, it's an interesting gathering. It, it's a kind of a conference slash trade show, but it's not too trade showy. If That's not really a word, but it's not purely just vendors. It's themes too. But John, I thought your content, first of all, this was the first time in quite some time that you and I have been able to actually work together on, on a, a, a substantive program. Although 90% of the credit for future of work certainly is yours and you put together a great program. But um, it would be interesting to hear what you thought were some of the takeaways and where was the where was the buzz in in the various topics. Yeah, that, 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 he's definitely going to do that now. Um, before that, I just want to amplify one of the points you just made, which I thought was really important because in this day and age of it's this bigger and better, bigger is better mentality. Uh, I totally agree. One of the things I've always liked about this event is the scale. 
right? It's all in one building. You, you, you'd be hard pressed to, to need more than five minutes to go anywhere in that venue. And, and it's not a tiny venue by any stretch. As I said, there are thousands of people there. But when you compare it to going to, you know, a CES, right, or any of the big mega shows that uh, we have, and certainly when I go to a lot of analyst events from the big vendors like Cisco and, you know, Microsoft, Amazon, et cetera, you know, where they're, they're you know, spread out over multiple buildings, you know, you could be 20 minutes walking from one segment to another. No, that makes this show very accessible. So you can cover it all, which is great. And uh, it's very, as you say, it's very personable. You know, Florida has a very casual vibe. It always has. And a lot of people, I, I, I said that facetiously earlier about new to telecom, but right, Chris, I mean, many familiar faces, you know, people who come into this industry, many of them tend to stay in it, right? And their whole careers kind of revolve around being in the communications space, whether it's hardware or software, whatever, but Every time I go to that event, you know, you can't walk more than 10, me- 10 feet for t- or two minutes without bumping into someone you know, right? That's right, John. And I also think that it has sort of an entrepreneurial flavor to it. You have a, you meet a lot of people who the reason that they've been part of the community for a long time is that they've they've built careers on being involved with new technology, but leading edge, but not bleeding edge, you know? building out real businesses on the, the the shoulders of technology advances that can be practically implemented. If yeah. that, it's, it's pretty leading edge, right? So we're going to talk, for example, about how much um, interest there was in generative AI and chat GPT. And by the way, major props to you for including that in your program, even, even though it was about future of work. But it was the people who talked about it tended to say, not so much where are we going to be in 10 years, but like where are we going to be next and where are we now? So it was fairly practical advice, right? It was pretty grounded, most of the dialogue, don't you think? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's another important point for listeners who don't know about a show like this. It's very accessible, right? I mean, it's not, the bar isn't too high, the bar isn't too low. So you don't have to go in there being a developer or a programmer or whatever very much, you know, and that's my forte, Chris, and yours too. It's business level stuff, right? So we're talking about the nuts, not so much the nuts and bolts of, you know, what's under the hood, but how you use it. And as you say, how you use it today. So we're not, we're not uh, pontificating about what the world might be in five, 10 years, but, you know, here it is today. And, you know, uh, I'm sure I would have said this last year too, the term future of work is kind of an oxymoron at this point, because we keep talking about it year after year, and the future is here now. And everything we talked about on those sessions, you know, is happening right now. And these are issues that all businesses are struggling with. Yeah, before we get into some of the themes, just to explain to the audience uh, today, uh, Chris, kind of where everything fits, right? So, I, you know, uh, as you know, I'm an independent technology analyst, but I also wear a, in this case, uh, the hat of a conference chair. So I've I've been behind the scenes uh, doing everything imaginable in conferences and industry events for a long, long time. So that's a whole different skill set from being an analyst. And um, uh, I'm thankful that uh, TMC and I have become really good partners for building this 
track along the way. This is the fifth year it's been running. So it's kind of what I say, Chris, hitting its stride now, much like our podcast here, right? We're finding an audience. We kind of know what works. And this year it worked out in a big way uh, to have you there, Chris, which was great. So I certainly can't do it without help. So Chris was, just so you know, folks, he was a moderator for one of the panels and a speaker on another panel. So you know, that was a big help to me, Chris, to have you there. And of course, we were, you know, Thanks, hand in glove here. Yeah. So you I know, really enjoyed it. In mm-hmm. fact. Thank you. Me too. Just again, the familiarity of being there with people that you know, you know, this does not feel like some anonymous event that, you know, you never know when they're going to pull the plug on you. So with that, let's yeah get into a bit of the kind of the high points of what we saw there. Another convenient thing to know about for future folks is if you go to an event, certainly if you go to this event, everything happens in one room, right? So you don't have to go bouncing around from you know floor to floor or building to building. So it makes it very easy to kind of settle in and stay through all the sessions that are of interest. So over the three days, we had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we had 18 um, sort of sessions most were panels, some were solo spots, and a few of them were what we call showcase demos, where sponsors got to uh, tell their story for a little bit, but there were only a handful of those. But it was mostly about the content. So uh, just as a without any particular order, Chris, uh, I'll start, as you mentioned, with ChatGPT, just because it's the hottest thing going in technology now. And you're right, it's not truly a future of work theme, but it's close enough that everyone wants to know does it fit, right? Right, right. Well, what, and what is it going to displace? What are its failings? What are its strengths? So we heard some of all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, you know, this this is not a developer show, so you can't assume that people coming in here are, you know, looking at this at the deepest levels. This is really like, oh, everyone's been toying with this, right? Trying to figure out how to stump it, how to make it look bad, you know, that all that, and and it's all of those things, right? And so I, the takeaway to me when we talked about this is the idea that it, it's almost like it's irresistible to, to be getting into at this point. But, you know, on a business level, you got to keep in mind what's behind all of this. And we talked a bit about this being, you know, you know, in Microsoft's court and it's Microsoft's, it could be their last uh, gasp at kind of trying to compete with Bing uh, against Google, of course. And Google is never gonna be uh, outdone for very long. So you can be absolutely sure they're coming back with something here nothing, they don't want anything threatening their search business. So, you know, they have Bard, which is comparable to this, but, you know, so there's certainly at a high level, there's a lot at stake for making this work, right? But in terms of the future work applications, Right. I, I, it seems to me that the, the, the opportunity here is really to help people just more efficiently manage their time. Right. And this is really not that far off from what I would call a digital personal assistant, right? Where you have a, a bot basically who you can use speech to interact with. And this is just an extension of that, right? Asking it to do things to to basically organize information around your day or maybe to prepare for a meeting, get background information about the people you're going to be meeting with, you know, those kind of things. It's interesting, John, because my takeaway was a little bit different, not opposed to yours, but 
like what did I what really leaped out at me? So I agree with you about personal assistant, but I also think uh, that this is this is already being used and it's going to be used a lot more to produce what you might call run-of-the-mill stuff, like written output, which comprises a surprising amount of web page copy and blogs. And, you know, there's a huge amount of material produced every day. And a lot of it is pretty mundane, but you need to do it. You need to feed the beast. You need to throw stuff into the machine of media. And I think that the uh, with a little bit of human copying, copy editing, there are a lot of sort of run-of-the-mill topics where you could throw this technology at today, and it's increasingly being done to generate the material. You know, an article in a, in a trade journal, a, a, let's say a newspaper story about a ball game, right? That where it's just basically straight through reporting or describing. And then it gets make might go to a copy editor who puts more of a personal touch, or the author might then do a little editing. In fact, it really struck me one of the speakers who does a good bit of writing said, "You know, I'll get this to generate an early draft, which means it saves me a whole bunch of Google searches, and then I'll go in and I'll fix anything I think is wrong, or I'll improve the language a little bit, or make it a little more interesting." But if you just take that application. That has major significant implications for a lot of businesses, right? That's a that's a big change. Uh, and then if you you know that it's going to apply to the same category of say programming, right? So there's a ton of relatively routine programming, despite all efforts to get rid of code. Uh, let's say to build a website, to build an application, um, to to put together a workflow. You know, if you can generate English, you can certainly generate computer code. And I think that's a big implication for a lot of jobs and potentially uh, industries. And and if it's computer code, it could be pictures, it could be Excel spreadsheets. I mean, think about how many relatively mundane spreadsheets there are. You know what I mean? So there's this kind of, I wouldn't say 80-20, but maybe 70-30, 60-40 element of a lot of work. This is very routine, you know, and I think future of work thinkers should be thinking about how this generative AI is going to hit that. And then it'll go to the 70 and it'll go to the 80 and then what's left. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the, for, for me also, the future of work kind of connection here is not that far from the things I talk about annually at Enterprise Connect about the state of speech tech and AI in the enterprise and where I see this going, and this is more down the road, yes, but there is another term in uh, kind of the futuristic lexicon of, of called uh, of centaur, AI centaur. So the idea about you know a half 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 man half horse concept is the way a lot of futurists are thinking about the role of AI down you know in the future where. AI is not so much, and it can be, yes, a job killer and a replacement, all that, but the really exciting possibilities are about this kind of like hybrid model where human intelligence will kind of coexist alongside, I hate to use this word, but artificial intelligence, where you kind of can get the best of both worlds, where like you say, Chris, let the AI, let the chat GPT do the, you know, 
the you know the drudgery the the base level stuff pulling it all together but as we know chat gpt doesn't have a soul it doesn't have a sense of humor it doesn't have rhythm can't sing all the things that make us human and i know that's a little could be a little bleak thinking about what ai could eventually replace but if you have that mindset and i think one of the things i mentioned on the panel was you know not so much for us but for the digital natives in the audience this stuff is not that big of a leap where as long as you can trust the technology and harness it effectively, you can get very good results. But if you're just going to be lazy and let it do the thinking for you and write your essays in school and stuff, you know, we all know where that can go. So the ethics of this are like a whole other layer. But uh, there's enough there for me that says, yes, this is part of the future of work uh, landscape. Maybe not yet, but it's, you know, we, we needed to talk about it. I'm somewhat, I have to confess, a skeptic as to whether this will ultimately be used for the good or the balance of the use it will be for the good. I think if you wanted to be generous about it as a tool, the centaur is one way to think about it. I I view it as sort of an exoskeleton, like, you know, these powered exoskeletons that the military has been experimenting with where they're going to, you know, if you saw the movie Alien, right, at one point, she's wearing an exoskeleton that allows her to lift very heavy loads and it's sensitive to body movements. So I sort of think this is an intellectual exoskeleton if you use it properly. Yeah. But I'm very cautious about it. And not only because of the potential for abuse and the fact that it's so easy to impersonate reality with it, but it's also, I have a lot of doubts about where the input information comes from because at its heart, the current generation of, of AI is basically a very, very sophisticated statistical process. And yeah. it, you know, it, it, there's a lot of skepticism in me about where the input information is coming from, yeah. you know, how mm. it builds its database and how, how accurate that is and, you know, how biased that can be. Uh, so we, we will see, right. Because it's inevitable that this is going to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. And, and another point I made, I remember on the panel was just where I started this conversation. This is still ultimately, this is about Google and Microsoft, they're going to rule this world because they're the biggest cloud players. They're the biggest AI players, along with Amazon, of course. Um, and to some extent, it doesn't really matter what we think or do. When these guys go all in on this stuff, it's happening. And, you know, ethics aside, like you, Chris, I have skepticisms that, you know, compromises are going to have to be made along the way just because the, the business stakes are too high for these guys not to make it work. Unless it just fails spectacularly, like we had with um, what was the Microsoft speech uh, experiment that um, was a disaster a couple of years ago. I know uh, which one you're talking about. Yeah, the name escapes me, but it came up with all this, you know, Nazi propaganda Hate stuff. Speech, and, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. It, so it is inevitable, right, John? Uh, as you Tay, say. I think it was uh, Tay. Tay. Yes, yes. So this is all inevitable. Uh, not the necessarily the hate speech, but the growth of generative AI. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a watch this space that people really, really should be watching yeah, and paying yeah. attention to. And that's you, your average person, it's already probably interfacing with this. And that's only going to grow because of the import, because of the dependence on everybody's lives on the flow of, of information and data. And I, I just, I just see it growing and, it, so it's going to have to hopefully will come with a lot of uh, thinking as well, you know, about what the what the drawbacks are and 
how do you determine truth from non-truth, et cetera, et cetera. So we will see, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. So related themes, I know we we, we don't have a lot of time left, but um, uh, I want to get to your session in, in a moment. I just want to touch very quickly on, you know, we did sessions on augmented and virtual reality and also another session on metaverse. So again, playing to these AI-driven uh, virtual technologies um, that are, again, they may seem to be at the edges of what the future of work is like right now. But again, if you look at the digital natives in the room, the gamers out there, and that's what most di most digital natives do that, um, these technologies, again, they seem a little out there, but not for that audience and uh, that, that generation. So again, these pieces are in place now in a small way, but are coming. And, uh, you know, another watch this space thing for sure. That's all I want to say about that. And I want to come to your session, Chris, because again, you know, one of our main focuses is hybrid work, right? World of work and future of work. And you were uh, on one of the sessions talking about those kind of bigger factors to make the hybrid model effective. And so you brought out some really nice highlights from the uh, HPE Aruba uh, Leesman uh, work index study. So maybe just give us a few takeaways from that. Well, I, I, we talked about that in great detail in the last podcast, that True. study, uh, John. So I don't want to bring out a lot of the points in the time that we have, but essentially, and you know, let's preface this discussion about hybrid work with our usual disclaimer that it, and this came out in the panel too, about how it does only apply to say 60% of the workforce. Uh, but there, there were some interesting points raised about, you know, I think everybody was fairly on the same page of that the hybrid works inevitable, which was one of the Leesman conclusions and, but how is it going to work out and how successful or unsuccessful is it going to be to try to force people back to work and what else is going on? Like this whole movement toward the four day work week, which is very interesting to, to try to figure out what kind of work pattern makes sense for people now. And there was a fair amount of engagement with the audience. Um, there was uh, one person who asked a really good question about how does this apply to manufacturing? If you remember, that, that was a great question. And we talked about that a little bit about how workers who work in manufacturing are still, they still care about the balance, right? So there had been perhaps a little bit less, a lot of the work-life balance in the industrial sector had been worked out in an earlier age when the unions came to power. But it stands to reason that the new discussion is in order on the back of the pandemic. But there was a pretty broad consensus, I think, that things really have changed and they're not going to go back to where they were. Yeah, and that's right. So folks, if you follow our podcast, yes, our last episode, uh, Chris got to go a little bit more in depth about that study. So we'll leave it at that. Um, I wanted to also touch on, we had three sessions built around contact center and customer service. Now that itself isn't really a future of work thing, but there was definitely a need to talk about agents in the contact center. Uh, they're part of the future of work landscape for sure. And the realities of making, you know, hybrid work in an office environment is one thing. And it's a very different thing when you have a contact center. And that's every big business has this issue to deal with. How do you support, you know, obviously home-based agents and 
making that work effectively. When you think about usually in a contact center environment, you've got a supervisor on hand, you have agents in the cubes next to you, you know, that human interaction isn't there. So this is a, you know, this does tie into some of the AI tools because they can provide real-time, you know, connection and feedback for agents uh, wherever they are. And so there are definitely needs to make the, what we call the agent experience better, mainly because it ties to so many other things, right? So customer service, as you know, has become very strategic for businesses. It's it's a top line. It's a C-suite issue where customer satisfaction is a very important, you know, uh, public reflection of how you're doing in the marketplace, especially for public companies. So when they see CSAT scores uh, going south, they need answers. And this is where the contact center kind of gets held to account. And when you discover that they're kind of stuck, not using the right technologies tied to legacy, you know, equipment, that kind of thing, the rush to the clouds kind of really pushes. So that's where we were talking about how do you adopt these new technologies? Again, future work issues to not just run your contact center, but make your agents productive and feel valued because turnover in the contact center is a constant headache for businesses. And it's because it's such a crappy job. So few people really want to do this kind of work, but if you use these tools effectively, you can kind of make the agent job a little sexy if you can. And then all of a sudden you've got something that really drives customer experience. The other thing, Chris, that was maybe a little more pushing the envelope, but one of the sessions we had, I wanted to talk about the contact center as a potential template for organizations to follow in the hybrid work environment we're moving towards. And why I wanted to explore that is because the contact center has been disrupted during the pandemic in, I think, a more pointed way than organizations have in general. The kind of things they've had to adapt to top to bottom for adopting new technology and reinventing their processes um, and with real, you know, top line implications, you know, office workers don't generate sales, right? So they're not accountable in the way the contact center agents are when they're in the care, you know, they're there to care for customers. So the stakes are a lot higher. And I think the contact centers who have come through this and learned a lot about how to adopt these new technologies, become more agile with the flexible, you know, with the work from home and a whole hybrid model. I think there are some lessons learned there from the contact center that organizations can apply elsewhere in the business. So I just wanted to focus on that for one of the sessions. And, I, you know, we, we covered that ground, I think, pretty well. But again, we're just trying to think a little bit beyond just the obvious stuff. And that's why... I like doing this event because we kind of have a free hand to, you know, cover new ground because uh, we're always in introducing new themes uh, and we'll do so again for 2024. So I'm going to well, leave maybe, it at that. Yep. Go ahead. May, maybe we could just put a sticky note on that last point you made about contact centers, because uh, maybe we could talk more about that next time. You know, we've tried to give you a really high level overview of some of the stuff we talked about, uh, but the contact, the whole, there were several uh, sessions related to contact centers, and I would love to work, talk a little further on the point that you were making about that being applicable to the rest of the company, and also talk about some of the points the speakers made about how that job gets better and how it becomes more effective to customers, So, or might or could. So let's do that, okay? Let's just take a little reservation and say, 
maybe we'll we'll talk more about that next time and maybe dive in on one or two other points we made today. Great. Okay. So before we kind of uh, uh, zero out here, folks, just so you know, obviously you're listening here to the podcast. So that's one way if you want to get more kind of, I don't know, reflections on the Future Work Expo. If you follow me, my blog, there's content there. Uh, I put up a post recently with some photos from the various sessions, as well as a link to a review article I wrote that's been published on EM360. Um, So details are there on my blog about that. And also I have another blog post with a summary of, I believe it was five articles that were written during the event by one of TMC's publications called Future of Work News. And that's another thing you might want to subscribe to just to keep on top. I think they have 100,000 monthly views. So they've got some pretty good traction. So again, you know, check out my blog because you'll have links to all of those articles that were write-ups about various sessions we did at the event. And, uh, and of course here and uh, in my newsletter, I'll be uh, including some highlights about it there as well. So lots of ways to uh, catch up on what you didn't see or to relive what you did see. All right. So with that, Chris, I think we are more than on time, but I think we've uh, covered some pretty good ground here today. Agreed, John. It was sort of a digest. It was kind of the best we could do to fit uh, 10 pounds of content in a five pound bag, but we'll try to drill in a little bit more on a couple of things next time. And thanks again for inviting me to participate. It was great to work with you as always, and um, really appreciate it. Same here, Chris, as always. That's why we keep doing these podcasts because, well, we work well together and that's a good recipe. Always good when you're not virtual. Yeah. For, a, for a bit, you know? Yeah, exactly. So let's just say I have snow to shovel today, which wouldn't be happening if I was in Florida. Yes. Okay. So with that, we thank you all for listening today and hope you'll continue with us as we explore the future of work here on Watch This Space. You can access our episodes at www.watchthisspace.tech or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. Uh, Amazon, Google, Apple, Stitcher, you know, they're on all the major platforms, not hard to find. And of course, we're always welcome your comments, reviews, suggestions for future episodes. And with that, I am John Arnold. And I'm Chris Fine. Thank you, John. Thank you, everybody for listening. And we look forward to uh, talking to you again on another episode of Watch This Space.